You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. Hope is kind of a funny thing, um, especially in our context today. We kind of, hope's one of those words that we overuse a lot. Um, we kind of use it in context that it doesn't really connect biblically as much. Um, when we're talking about true hope, and we look at a definition, right, the definition of hope is to trust or to desire with expectation of fulfillment, right? To expect with confidence. So when we're talking biblically or we're talking a true definition of hope, when I say I'm hoping in something, it means that I'm expecting it to happen. It's not just I'm wishing, right? I'd really like. Like I could say I'd like, I'd hope a million dollars falls in my lap tomorrow. But really, that's not hope because I don't think it's going to happen, right? If somebody would say, well, go sell your house and your cars today because tomorrow you're going to get a million dollars, that would not be a good plan on my part because nothing has shown me that that's going to happen. So hope is not really a good word there. Really, I'd be wishing, right? And there's other areas that I would say that kind of pertains to, kind of to throw it into current application. Um, How many football fans do we have here? All right, enough. <clears throat> All of you are somewhat familiar with football, right? I'm a football fan. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Yeah, I know. I know there's a few of you out there. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, right? I wish the Vikings would win the Super Bowl every year. It's something that it would make me happy. I, I really wish that it will happen. I kind of, like, part of me is like, yeah, it could be the year this year. I've said that for a lot of years. Um, Could be the year this year, right? But I would be wrong in reality to say, I hope the Vikings win the Super Bowl this year. Because that would mean that I'm banking everything on the fact that the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl. I would like as a fan to say that, but unfortunately, I have to look at the context and kind of the track record, right? There's been 55 Super Bowls. Does anybody know how many the Vikings have won? Yeah, thanks, guys. I got people in the back. Zero. Yeah, zero, right? The Vikings have never won a Super Bowl in 55 years. All right? Now, that didn't mean I'm not a a fan of theirs. I've been a fan through good times. I've been a fan through some bad times, and there's been quite a few of those as well. Right? And I always stick with them. But to say that I put my hope in them winning the Super Bowl this year would not be a good idea. It would be great if it happens, and there's, a, there's probably a chance it could. One in 32, at least, right? Um, but everything I've seen up to this point says that it's probably not a huge great bet to, you know, if somebody said, hey, would you bet a million dollars on the fact the Vikes are going to win the Super Bowl this year, I probably would not take that bet. I would be pleasantly surprised if they did. But that's not hope, right? Right? Putting your hope in something means you're all in and you believe that that is going to happen in the future. And I talk about that because today in Romans, Paul talks about how we're all connected through hope in Jesus. And having hope in Jesus is different than kind of wishing my football team wins the Super Bowl this year. One of them, I'm not really sure, and to be honest, History has shown me that their chances maybe aren't that great. But 
The other, in Jesus, I put all my... If somebody said, do you put a million dollars down that you know Jesus is coming back again and that when you die, you're going to heaven? I'd say, yeah, I'll take that bet. Because I know it to be true in my heart. And there's a long track record that shows that that is true. And Paul starts us off, actually, with going over a little bit of that track record. Because he's going to talk about hope in Jesus. And so he first sets us up by saying... Here's the stuff that's happened that shows us that we can trust and that, this, that there should be hope in Jesus. And he talks about everybody, both people groups. So I'm going to pick up, we're in Romans chapter 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And the first point here today is Jesus came to the Jews to prove God's truthfulness. And he came to the Jews first to show that God is truthful. There's a biblical truth to this, right? Jesus had to be born a Jew because all the scriptures had said that he would be. The scriptures had said the Messiah, the Messiah was coming, right? Um, the scriptures said from the, the line of David, Jesus would be born, or as Paul says here, from the root of Jesse, Jesse being David's dad, right? So, scriptures, God said all this time that the Messiah was coming and he'd be a Jew. And then Jesus was born a Jew, showing that God was truthful. There's one promise right there that God backed up. He goes on and says, by coming to be a servant to the Jews, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies and all the promises that he had laid out for the patriarchs, right? The fathers of the Jewish religion, really, right? Since the beginning of Hebrews, you've got right Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. So since the beginning of the people following God, God has given all these promises and prophecies, and Jesus has fulfilled them. So again, we have that happening, right? Um, Jesus, basically the patriarchs are a patriarch of the Jews, um, even more so, technically, the Hebrews. This is my nerd brain going on, right? This is always something. There was kind of three phases to the Jewish people, right? When they first started, they were the Hebrews. Then when they got a nation and they had kings like Saul and David, they were the nation of Israel. Then after the nation fell and they were taken away in the great exile, they became the Jews because they no longer had a nation, right? But it's all the same people. And he's saying, since the beginning of that, the patriarchs, God has laid out this promises and these, these, these promises and these um, prophecies that there would be a Messiah coming to save and to serve the Jews. And so when Jesus came and first preached and served the Jews, again, he shows God is truthful. The problem with this, you know, not only by showing that God's truthful, is he laying this out, he's also showing a biblical truth and a world truth that if God says something's going to happen, it happens. God doesn't lie. It's never been somewhere in the Bible where God said something was going to happen and it didn't. And so he's kind of laying that out and showing that to people ahead of time. Now that's a great, that's, this is a great premise. And it's awesome that we go, okay, well this is great. We can see now 
is the people that had been Jews and they know the Old Testament or the Scriptures, they could say, yeah, this is right. Paul's laying this out, and I see, like, this is why. The problem was is that the Jews and the Jews that had become Christians, even, started to take this a little bit for granted. Um, they started to get stuck in this, that Jesus had come to serve the Jews and to save the Jews, and they started to become a little bit selfish about it. Like, yeah, Jesus came to serve and to, and to save the Jews, and us only. They kind of started thinking Jesus and the gospel was solely for the Jews. And so Paul breaks into it a little bit here. But, you know, I can't, I can't say this in a way that I'm like mocking the Jews or saying the Jews were terrible about this. We do this too, right? When we find something good or precious, the sinful nature in us wants to hold it to ourselves. Right? We want to be like, well, I don't want to share this with people. Well, I don't want to give this to other people that are not like me, right? I'm not going to share. If I got if I got a million dollars tomorrow, as I mentioned, right? I don't want to share that with people that don't that I don't like, right? I want to hold that to myself. Um, and so the Jews kind of had that same mentality of, well, that's our Messiah, right? This is for us. And Paul points out, well, God had a bigger plan in mind. Paul points out that God's plan for the Jewish people was not to hoard the gospel for themselves. He said, in fact, through you, the Gentiles, which really is all the nation. Whenever the Bible says Gentiles, we've come to think of it as non-Jews, which is true. But really, the word Gentiles basically means all the nations. To the Hebrew people, you had two nations. You had the nation of Israel and then everybody else. All of the other nations, right? Races, creeds, ethnicities. Geographic locations didn't matter. If you weren't Israel and Jewish, you were a Gentile. Everybody else kind of fell into that piece. We're all Gentiles if, for the most part here. Um, about 85 to 90% of Christians in the world are descendants of Gentiles. There's not a whole lot of us that can actually trace back genetically to Hebrews or to Jewish people. There are Jewish people that have become Christians now. It's just... It's spread across the world, so a lot of Christians come from Gentiles. Right? I 23 and meet myself a few years ago with my wife as a Christmas present. I have zero Jewish ethnicity in me. Right? So I am 100% Gentile somewhere from it. And so Paul says, listen, God saved you and God sent a Messiah to you so that you could then share that and so that you could be a witness, and so that you could help to push that out to the Gentiles as well. This is not something to hoard. And so that brings us kind of to our second piece, which was Jesus to all the nations. Right? Jesus went to all the nations to show his mercy. So he came first to the Jews to show that he was truthful, and to show how God made good on all the promises that he had and to make that kind of a model and a spectacle for people to see that. And then he expanded to the Gentiles, to people that weren't Jews, to show his mercy. By making the gospel and salvation available to all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues, all the races, it further emphasized God's mercy. See, God had promised the Messiah, and he'd promised salvation, was coming to the Jews. They knew that, and, and they were pretty vocal about that to everyone else, right? But all the other groups had never been singled out. God had said, the Jews are my people. Here's the Hebrews. 
They follow me. I love my people. This is them. The Hebrews knew there was a Messiah coming. But everybody else had no promise necessarily. They weren't singled out. They were just everyone else. So they didn't necessarily expect anything. They didn't deserve anything. But God showed his mercy by saying, you know what, I'm going to expand this to them too, to all of us, to show that I'm merciful, right? What's so special about them? Well, nothing was special about the Gentiles. But God still spread that out and shared it to them. And part of that is when we talk about mercy. I remember a long time ago, somebody kind of, I talked with a pastor I had when I was a much younger man, and we talked about the difference between mercy and grace, because we use those words a lot when we talk about God especially, right? And he said that mercy is not getting what you deserve. We all deserve damnation. We've all sinned, and we all deserve to be separated from God. Mercy is not getting that. God says, nope, I'm not giving that to you. If you believe in Jesus, right, you get a pass into heaven. Jesus died and basically canceled out that debt for you. So that's God's mercy. And God showed mercy to Gentiles, saying the Gentiles definitely deserve damnation. They didn't even follow God. It was not the Gentiles that, um, you know, it was not the Gentiles who escaped or who God led out of Egypt. It wasn't the Gentiles who wandered the desert. It wasn't the Gentiles that set up Israel and worshipped God and set up, built the temple. None of that. They didn't, so they, they really weren't connected at all there. But God says, because I'm merciful... I'm going to allow you the same opportunity of the gospel to believe in Jesus and to be saved. And it's through me showing the Jews and what I'm doing with them, and then I'm saying, hey, you come too. So the two are connected. Grace, on the other hand, which we see here as well, grace is getting undeserved favor. So if in mercy you deserve something bad and you don't get it, right? It would be like if I had a speeding ticket. I got caught speeding. I went to the judge and I said, yeah, I was speeding. And the judge says, you know what? I'm going to let you off this time. That's mercy. I deserve a speeding ticket. I deserve a fine. I deserve points on my license. So if the judge says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to let you off this time. That's mercy. Grace is getting something. It's basically getting undeserved favor. So the judge would be merciful if he said, no problem. I'm letting you off. He would be graceful if he said, not only am I letting you off, but I'm going to give you $500 as you're walking out the door. Because that's undeserved favor. Not only did I mess up and he let me off, but then he gave me something additionally that I, had, did what I definitely didn't deserve. Right? It was an undeserved favor. And God showing that here. The Gentiles and the Jews, to be honest, didn't deserve anything. But by God giving them the opportunity for salvation... And by Jesus coming and dying for our sins and being resurrected, through that, it shows God's grace. It shows not only does God wiping out the opportunity for basically wiping out your sin, but then giving you this opportunity of eternal life with him to go to heaven when you die. And he uses this through the Jews and through the Gentiles to show these concepts of truthfulness, of mercy, and grace. So by pointing these out, Paul's kind of saying, all right, I'm asking you to hope in Jesus. And we talked about earlier that hope is being confident in something coming. And Paul says, well, I'm just showing you all the things God has done. God's always truthful. God's merciful. God's graceful. So with those in mind, you should have no problem 
having hope in Jesus. You should have no problem seeing what God's done and that when God has said something is real, it's real. He's never lied about it. And that He's merciful and He's graceful. And now because of that, again, there's a track record. You should have no problem saying, yeah, I know God said, if I believe in Jesus, when I die, I go to heaven. So that must be true too, because everything else He said is true. He's always shown mercy. He's shown grace. And He said He would do that for people who believed in Jesus. So I should be able to say, yeah, I'd bet a million dollars on the fact that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. So that brings us kind of to the third point. Paul set us up. And now he's like, all right, now here's the point, is that all of us should hope in Jesus. All of our hope is in Jesus. All of that expectation of something definitely happening is in Jesus. Specifically, the expectation of salvation. The expectation that we get eternal life with God. Paul highlighted the ways that God has proven faithful time and again, and the people of Jews and the Gentiles. I don't want you to brush this off. This was a big deal. The Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. Right? To the, to the Jews, the Gentiles were dirty. They weren't God's people. They weren't special. They weren't clean. Right? And so spiritually, they were disconnected. They wanted nothing to do with them. If, they, if you were a Jew and you'd washed up and getting ready to go to prayer, if you touched a Gentile, you had to go start all over again. You had to go wash your hands from the elbow down to the tips, and then you had to get new clothes on. I mean, it was really bad, right? And the Gentiles kind of viewed the Jews as like these weird people, these people that hate us, these people that think they're better than us, all these things. There was a lot of animosity between the two. Where we can lose that sometimes is we go, yeah, that's nice, and we get that, but that was 2,000 years ago. Unfortunately, it's really not. This, this idea of two, two groups or of peoples that really don't get along both being pulled in and having hope in Jesus connects today too. We're living in a world that is severely divided. We're living in a world that is divided by politics. We're living in a world that is divided by uh, race by economic status. Even the church is divided in a lot of places. And we live in this fallen world that likes to point out all these differences, and they like to pit us against each other. The fact that we're in a fallen world and there's sin in the world, that sin tends to pit us against each other. And why that can become very dangerous is because the more time we spend focusing on hating one another and on our differences and pitting ourselves against each other, the less time we're focused on Jesus, and the less time we're focused on our hope in salvation in Jesus. Biblical truth, right, says that Jesus, our hope in Jesus should bring us together. Our hope in Jesus should pull groups together that are different. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be misconstrued. I'm not saying that we should compromise on biblical truth just so everyone gets along. I'm not saying that by any means. Right? God's word is God's word, and that's what we got to live by. But what I am saying is, it's not our role to fight and argue and to attack people differently. Than our role, just like the Great Commission, is that we need to show people Jesus. We need to preach the gospel to everyone, even people that don't get along with us, or people that maybe we don't align with. We preach the gospel, we show them Jesus, and then once they know Jesus, Jesus will change their heart 
to align with His plan for them. That's not something we're going to be able to do. If I can argue you into something, somebody else can argue you out. But if I show you Jesus and then Jesus changes your heart, that's not going to change. So we should be focusing on Christ, focusing on our hope in Jesus, and trying to help other people have that same hope. Come to know Jesus, come to love Jesus, and have that hope of eternal life. The Great Commission was not to preach the gospel to some nations. The Great Commission was not that some tribes that you already agree with, you should preach the gospel to. Right? It wasn't that we should, pe- we should preach the gospel to people that speak the same language as we do. Um, or that we should preach the gospel to people all of the same color. None of that was in. It was all tribes, tongues, nations. We don't get to choose that. We need to seek to bring people to Jesus, everyone to Jesus. I'll be honest, I know people from many countries who are saved. I went to college at Plattsburgh, and we had a large international group of students. I have friends from Ghana that are saved. I know friends from China that are saved. I know friends from Burkina Faso that are saved, Sri Lanka that are saved, people from all different nations that had nothing to do with if they know Jesus and they love Jesus. I know people from all different races who are saved. I know Republicans who are saved. I know Democrats who are saved. Regardless of their political voting, has nothing to do with the fact that they love and have hope in Jesus. I even know, and this is putting it out there, I even know some Patriot fans that are saved. That could be the large, that could be really the weirdest one out there. But I do know even some Patriot fans that are saved. Right? We need to focus on preaching and showing people Jesus no matter what. And that's what Paul was trying to show the Jews and the Gentiles which had some of those same, if not stronger, rifts in between. I wish we showed as much dedication in Christ as we show to some of the things around us. I mentioned football earlier. I've been to some football games, and to see the enthusiasm and dedication to football fans, who, like I said earlier, may not have any hope, necessarily. Um, I've, been to, I've been to Minnesota games, okay? We, there's not a lot of hope. Even worse, I've been to Cleveland games, and they have a lot of, they have a lot of fandom, Hope, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, but they're crazy. They have excitement. They, they generate that excitement. They have a love for their fandom. I would love to see that passion in, our, in churches. I would love to come in here and see people sign it, signs up. Hey, I love Jesus, right? Let's worship all night, right? All sorts of signs holding up. I've never seen that coming in a church. I'd love to see a couple guys stand up and they've got like J-E-S-U-S like on their chests, right? That's the kind of, lo- kind of love and hope and entertainment we, that people should have. We can show it for worldly things. We have no problem telling everybody at work how much we love our football team or about our hobbies or, you know, what I watched on Downton Abbey last night, right? We have no problem with that, but we get scared and we kind of crunch up when it's talk about Jesus at work or to talk about Jesus with people that we're on the street discussing with. We should see that same kind of love in things. I'm not saying you have to come in next week with your face painted. Be kind of cool, but I'm not saying you have to do it. right? But that shows a love. That's the action behind it. And Paul's saying we all have hope in Jesus. And that hope in Jesus pulls us together. Only in Jesus do we have an expectation of fulfillment, which is hope. In Jesus, we know 
we get to go to heaven. In Jesus, we know that when we die, it's not the end. We get to go, we get to be with God, we get to be with other people who believed and went to heaven. And we get to worship God forever. My, my, in, in my head, that looks a lot more like a football rally. What's this look like? Um, you know, God puts a lot of things on my heart. And I've been thinking about this sermon all week. And yesterday I had the chance to go and visit a friend of mine. Um, I have a friend, Shane, and Shane and I met when we were in the Army together over 20 years ago. And we became good friends. Um, and then we went to college together. Then we both were saved within about six months of each other. Um, and so our lives have mirrored one another, and we've been friends for a long time. I introduced Shane to his wife. Um, she was a friend of mine at college, and he came to visit me, and I introduced them, and then they got married. Um, and Shane, um, Shane has struggled with leukemia for many years. He first got it when we were in the Army, and they discharged him, but then he, he came and under, basically got under control. He went into remission. And he stayed in remission for about 10 years, um, maybe 15 even. But in the last few years, it has come back. And he's gotten two more bone marrow transplants. He's had chemo. He's had all these different treatments. Um, and finally, he basically has been told that he has about two months left. Um, there's really not much left that's going to help. He's gotten to that point. And so yesterday, I got to go visit him. Um, and I wanted to comfort him. I wanted to talk with him. I wanted to just, to be honest, see my friend once again. Um, he has a lot he could have been sad about. Um, as I said, Shane's married. Shane has triplets who are 14 years old. Um, he also has twins that are foster children. He has a lot to miss and to love in this world, and a lot to be sad and feel like he's being ripped away. Yet I showed up, and Shane came out and was joyful. And he wanted to talk about football, the Giants, unfortunately, but I humored him, right? He wanted to chat about football, and he wanted to talk about his kids and some of the stuff that they're into. And the last thing he wanted to talk about was cancer or any of the stuff ailing him. There was a joy to him because Shane has hope. He has an expectation of fulfillment that at the end of the two months, when he does pass away from this world, he will be with God in heaven. That's hope. That's a true expectation because his action showed it. If he had been just absolutely downtrodden and torn apart and I'm afraid to die, which a lot of times all of us are, right? That would, I would have been like, well, why are you afraid? And we could have talked about, but he didn't have all that. He had complete hope. No, uns, there was no uncertainty to him about his future in Jesus. That's real hope in Christ. That's the hope I pray for me. I pray for all of us. That when time comes, and I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is at some point we all are going to die. We know that our worldly existence here is it's, it's minimal. And, and I, I hope, and I kind of, I put my prayer that I will have the hope in Jesus and show that that Shane is showing in his last few months on this. And I think God, God always does things for a reason, has a plan. And I think it was God's plan for me to see Shane, because I'm going to be honest with you, seeing Shane yesterday probably did more for me than for him. And seeing that, we have a hope in Jesus. Shane was not a perfect person his whole life. Neither was I. But he has that hope, and that brought us together. It brought others together. I saw people that 
people that we went to school with that came up that I haven't seen in 15 years to visit that also had that hope in Jesus. And it was just, it was a phenomenal day. And it was really a chance to see hope. In, and that's kind of what I pray for all of us as we go from here today. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.